In Matthew chapter 11, we begin reading in verse 16. It says, But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute to you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge to you, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades." For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. A couple months ago, I got a call from uh, Wade Bacon at Falls Lumber, and he had invited me there, taking a a number of contractors over to War Road to tour the Marvin plant. And and Marvin had invited us to to do this, and and so we're going to spend basically a day and a half there and go over and tour their plant, learn about their product lines. They're also going to treat us well. And, in fact, they were even going to pick us up in one of their corporate jets at the airport and fly us over to War Road, believe it or not. I got off the phone with Wade, and I told him, well, you know, this spring looks like it's going to be pretty busy, so I think I'm probably going to have to pass. And, and Lisa overheard me, and she asked me about it, and, and I told her what he had said. And she said, you don't turn down something like that. Call him back. <laughs> and go. I said, you know, you're right. That's pretty nice of him to put together a trip like that. So I called her, called him back and said, yeah, we'll go. And so, uh, so we went and it, it was a lot of fun. They really took care of us. They did pick us up at the airport and flew us just like, uh, like they said. Flying from here to there is 23 minutes <laughs> if you're in their, in their jet. And so it's just, it was my kind of flight. You're going up, then you're going down. And, and so it was a nice quick trip. They fed us great. They put us up in hotels. They even gave us a tour of Bob Marvin has a personal collection of classic automobiles. The time that we were in it, uh, there's 97 classic cars in that building. So it was just impressive to see that and learn about the history of this company and see what that company's done for the community there. And, you know, Marvin makes an outside door that is uh, a glass, like a sliding glass door or a bifold one in two different ways you can have it that can now be made as big as 12 feet tall and 55 and a half feet long. Impressive. And so it was, a, it was a, an interesting trip, no doubt about it, and I was thankful for the invitation. Well, 
You know what, this morning we're looking at another invitation as we come into Matthew chapter 11, and that's the invitation that Jesus is giving toward the last part of that chapter. He says, come to me, in verse 28, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, at this time we're seeing Jesus give an invitation to people to come unto him, just as I almost made a mistake of not accepting the invitation to go to Marvin Windows and tour that and would have missed out on that experience. Uh, There's a lot of people that have denied or rejected the invitation of Christ. He's been going around Israel and preaching, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is the Messiah, is the king, and he's there offering the kingdom to Israel. And so he's been inviting Israel to into the kingdom of God. But as we've seen earlier in this passage leading up to this point, the people have largely rejected that invitation. And that's what, as we look at the invitation of Christ, we see, first of all, that the invitation was rejected, and we see a reason for it. It's because of the depravity of man. It's not because of the lack of truth or even the lack of proof for the truth of who Jesus is. Because notice what he says. He starts out with a little, uh, kind of a little parable for them, a little story. He says, let me tell you what this generation is like. I'd liken them to kids that are playing in the marketplace. And one child is telling these other children, look, uh, we, we played a song for you, but you didn't dance. We, we sang a dirge for you, but you, you wouldn't mourn. You see some of the bigger events in social life in the Jewish Society at that time were weddings and funerals. And it was fairly common for kids to kind of represent those two social engagements as they played different games. You didn't want to play wedding. You didn't want to play funeral. No matter what we came up with to play, you didn't want to play. We've all seen that in our children, and we've been there when we were children ourselves. Sometimes the children just want to be a little bit obstinate. And you know what? Do you want this? No, I don't want that. Do you want this instead? No, I don't want that. Jesus said that's what this generation's like. The little illustration was pointing to the fact that John the Baptist had come to them Kind of like the funeral, calling for repentance, preaching about judgment. He wasn't overly social. In fact, he was out in the wilderness. He kind of to himself more. He didn't dress extravagantly. He was in camel's hair and and a leather belt. He ate rough, locusts and wild honey. And so, so he really didn't come as real sociable. But on the other hand, Jesus came and he went to the sinners and he had feasts and dinners with the, with the tax collectors and the publicans and, and sinners. And, and he was among the people. And, and he says, and what did you say about John the Baptist? You said, man, he doesn't, he's unsociable. And about Jesus, they exaggerated it and said, you know what, he's a glutton and a drunkard. Of course, he was neither of those things. He did eat with sinners, though. And what was his message as he went along? Repent, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was reaching out to everybody. And so he says, you're not happy with anything. And then he goes on from there to rebuke the cities where he'd done the majority of his miracles. And so, you see, it wasn't the lack of proof in in Capernaum, for example, where Jesus had made his headquarters. In Matthew chapter 8 and 9, we've read about ten different miracles. Out of ten of those miracles, five of them were done right in Capernaum. So it wasn't that Capernaum didn't have the proof that Jesus was who he said he was. It was happening right in front of him. And Jesus says, but you haven't believed. Why? It's because the reason people don't believe is not because of the lack of proof. It's because of the hardness. It's because of the depravity of humanity. 
Just as Jesus points to him, he says, we can't make you guys happy. John the Baptist comes. He doesn't make you happy. I come in a different manner. I don't make you happy. You're just obstinate. John MacArthur made this statement about this passage. He says, his grace never rent their hearts. His truth never changed their minds. His warning about sin never provoked repentance. And his offer of salvation never induced faith. It is the obstinance of the human heart that leads to the rejection of Jesus Christ. We see it in two ways. First of all, we see it in their hostility. Because we see that that the religious leaders that he refers to at the beginning and, and the nation of Israel as a whole, a lot of them become hostile towards Christ towards John the Baptist. Because what does it say about their response to John the Baptist? Says, John the Baptist came to you, neither eating nor drinking. Your response is, he has a devil. You see, they can't just ignore him because the miraculous is happening around them. The boldness of John the Baptist. And then, and then Christ, as we've already seen earlier, a little bit earlier in Matthew, has been accused of doing his miracles through the power of the devil. You can't just ignore them because people are being raised from the dead. (laughs) Lame people are walking. Blind people are seeing. The deaf are hearing. Lepers are being cleansed. And so you can't just ignore it. Something is doing these. But they're so against Christ that they say, well, then the answer, if it's not God, what's the only thing left? It must be the devil. And so they attribute the workings of Christ, the miracles, and the message of John the Baptist to the devil. So they're actually aggressively against John the Baptist. And they're aggressively against Christ. But not only do we see it in hostility, we also see it in apathy. We see it in apathy. As he corrects these different towns where it says the majority of his miracles had been accomplished. It's kind of interesting. These are not necessarily towns that are really aggressive against him. You know, you don't ever find him getting chased out of Capernaum. In Capernaum, he did all these mighty miracles, but what does Jesus rebuke him for? Just simply for not believing, for not repenting, for not getting on board. So in other words, they weren't, they weren't hostile to Christianity. They weren't aggressive toward Christ. They just weren't interested. You know, in Matthew chapter 22, he tells a story about a guy that is going to have a wedding for his son. And he says, I want you to do this. I got his guest list, and I want you to go out and invite all these people to the wedding. And his servants go out and invite everybody to the wedding, and they don't come. So he sends them out again. He says, go, go again. Tell them the feast is ready. Come on out to the wedding. And, of course, this is a picture of the father inviting mankind, inviting humanity to the wedding with his son to receive forgiveness of sins, but they don't come. And in fact, this time... They reject the invitation and they treat some of the servants harshly. And then after that, he says, they weren't counted worthy, so go out into the streets and invite anybody who will come. Now, it's kind of interesting. In this story that Jesus tells, right in the middle of it, Matthew chapter 22, verses 5 and 6, it says this, But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. You see, the responses to the invitation, to the wedding, find two different responses. Some people were aggressive toward the servants, but he says other people, they just ignored it. It says they paid no attention, and they went off. Where did they go? One to his farm, another to his business. As the invitation of Christ goes out into the world, you're going to find these two different responses. Some people are actually going to be aggressive against it. Others are not going to be aggressive They just don't care. 
they're just not overly interested. They're just going to pay no attention. They're just going to go back to their farm, back to their business, back to their lives, back to what they're doing. I think the majority of people on this planet are that group. They're not aggressively against God. They don't really care to try to stop Christianity or silence Christianity. They just don't care. They're just not interested. But you know what? That's the thing. I've talked to people that think that that's a loophole for them. They say, well, you know what? I don't really, I don't believe in God, but I'm not really against God either. If he is there, that's fine with me. What's the outcome for them? Jesus was going to reproving these cities where most of his miracles were done, where they have all this proof right before their eyes. They can see plainly who he is, that he is the son of God, the Messiah, the savior of the world. And they just don't care. They were willing to be entertained for a while. They were glad to, for the free lunch when he fed the 4,000 or the 5,000. But it's not going to rock their world. It's not going to change their life. They're not really re- interested in the part where it says repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's just manifested in apathy. Apathy is a severe form of unbelief. I remember years ago learning about counseling and marriages. And I remember somebody making a comment. They said, you know what, the opposite of, of love the worst thing is not hate. They said, really, the, the real one, hard one to deal with isn't hate. It's apathy. It's not that they're overly upset or angry with the person. They just, they just don't care. That's where a lot of the people are in this world with, with Christ. They just don't care. You know, have you ever had anybody tell you, well, I, you know what, I'm not really religious. Think about what that's saying. I don't really see any point in spending any time or effort in my life knowing anything about God. And what's the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your might. Well then, in logic, wouldn't it reason that the worst sin in the world is to not love God? The worst sin in the world is not to be against God. The worst sin in the world is just to not love God. And that's exactly what apathy is. That's exactly what what Capernaum and these Chorazin and Bethsaida, these other cities, that's exactly what they were guilty of. Not loving God, not even having time for God, the creator and maker of the universe, and the one sending his son to the earth to redeem you, to die on a cross in your place, to redeem you from your sin. And you just don't care. That's what he's dealing with. Oh, that's the depravity of mankind. But not only do we see the invitation rejected, we also see the invitation accepted. Now, as we see the invitation rejected was based upon the depravity of man. That's why that invitation gets rejected. Well, why does it get accepted then if man is so depraved? Well, if we look farther into the passage, we see that it is uh, accepted because of the sovereignty of God. It's accepted because God doesn't act within human hearts, regenerates human hearts so that we can believe, so that we can trust God has to act. It says in verse 25, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All these things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. No one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And that's when the invitation comes. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You see, it's based on the sovereignty of God. Jesus says, you know why, you know why some people believe and others don't believe? 
It's not because of any spark of goodness within us. If you're here this morning and you believe, it's not because there was something in you that was good enough to believe, something in you that sought after God. The Bible teaches us in Romans chapter 3 that nobody seeks after God. We're depraved in our nature. But God in his graciousness reveals himself to us. Jesus taught us that nobody comes to the Father unless the Father draws that person to himself. There's nothing in us that makes us hunger and thirst after God, but God will give us that appetite. God draws us to himself. He says nobody can go to the Father except the Son, and nobody goes to the Son except the Father, and nobody goes to the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. I came to Christ June 2nd, 1985, and there's no way I would have done it without God drawing me to himself. With God, without the Holy Spirit regenerating my heart and igniting faith with inside of me. You know, we get in this discussion all the time about free will. Well, but doesn't man have free will? Kind of, yes, kind of, no. I remember reading one author one time, he says, I think the better way to put it is free agency. We have the free agency, we can make our choice. But the problem is, you won't choose something you don't have an appetite for. You know, it's like me with eggs. You guys all know I hate eggs. If you're going to make me have an egg, I'll stir it with a fork and drink it because that's the quickest way that it's over. Torture's done. I've done that before, and that's something you can't quit halfway through either. But, but that's how I do her because I cannot stand eggs. You know what? I wish I liked coffee. When I was in uh, college, I really wish I liked coffee for late night studying and stuff like that. Can't stand coffee. I won't even eat mocha ice cream. Now, do I have a free will? Can I have a cup of coffee if I want one? Absolutely. But you know what? I'll never pick one. Can I have eggs? Can I sit down at a restaurant? Can I order eggs for breakfast? That is, that, that is available to me. But I will never do it. Put them in cake, French toast, where they belong. Use the chicken smartly and let it grow bigger before you eat it. You can feed several people on a chicken. One person takes a lot of eggs. So do the math, right? <laughs> but the point is, I will never choose it because I have no appetite for it, no desire for it. We have freedom as human beings, but in and of yourself, you have no appetite for God unless God gives you one. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying right here. He's, now, he does rebuke the cities, no doubt about it, because they're responsible. And there's always, it's hard to understand how divine sovereignty and human responsibility work together, but we see it over and over in the Bible. But Jesus praises the Father and he says, Thank you, Father. I'm so thankful. And what's the first thing he's thankful for? The fact that you've hidden this from some and you've revealed it to others. The only reason anybody's ever delivered from sin is because of the gracious will of God. That's what we see. Martin Luther made this comment. Here the bottom falls out of all merit, all powers and abilities of reason or the free will of men that men dream of. And it all counts nothing before God. Christ must do and must give everything. All of our salvation Everything that we have in Christ is because of Christ, not because of us. This is to be accepted in humility. Accepted in humility. It says, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Why didn't the religious leaders take advantage of that? Because of their pride. 
and their arrogance. When they went to see John the Baptist baptizing, when they went to look into Jesus, they were looking to put whether they should put their stamp of approval on him. And the message of John the Baptist and the message of Jesus were both, well, you guys, you're missing the point. We don't need your approval. You're the one that's failing here. It was pride that kept them from it. But Jesus says, come unto me, all you who labor, all of you who are overburdened, heavy laden. Now he could be referring to a couple things here. I think one of them, obviously he's referring to sin. We're bearing our own sin before we come to Christ. I remember the day that I came to Christ, all of a sudden I just felt like, thousand pounds was lifted off my shoulders. I just felt free. And I didn't even realize I was carrying the burden before. But all of a sudden, I just felt so convicted about my sins and recognizing I was on my way to hell without Christ. Before, I was thinking that I was good enough to get to heaven. Now, all of a sudden, I realize I'm so far short of it. And all of a sudden, that burden is just relieved that it wasn't me. It was what Christ has done for me that's getting me there. And I just accepted it like a free gift. And that heavy burden was just taken off my back. Jesus says, you'll find rest for your souls. The word rest is a common theme. It's a theological theme throughout the Bible. We find it at the very beginning. God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. Later, Israel, given the Sabbath, would be a day of rest, where they're supposed to rest in their relationship with God. Rest from, rest from their work and just trust. Didn't need that day for work. In the book of Hebrews, in chapter 4 and verse 10, it's looking back at the Old Testament and how out in the wilderness they struggled and they did not remain faithful to God. And he says, there's still a day of rest that was spoken of in the Bible that they were looking forward to when they got into the promised land was referred to as a time of rest. When they're finally in the promised land and they could rest, they could be at home in the promised land. But then in Hebrews, it points to Psalm, I think it's chapter 92, where David taught, warns people to be careful, just like they did back in the wilderness, be careful that your unfaithfulness doesn't keep you from entering into the rest that God has provided for us. And so it says, man, if David says there's still a rest during his time period, after he's in the promised land, and they're established, then there must still be a rest that the Bible is referring to. And he's asking the question, what is the rest of God? In Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 10 says, For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The point is, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you realize that your efforts don't get you to heaven. They don't get you to acceptance before God. The only thing that gets you to acceptance before God is what Jesus Christ did for us. And at that point, you can rest. Because it's all done. You can sit down. You can relax. We rest from our works as far as attaining our salvation just like God did from His works when He finished the world. Because as Jesus said when He was on the cross, it is finished. And we have rest in our souls. Because of what Christ did for us. And not only is it accepted in humility, it is enjoyed in unity. It's enjoyed in unity. Why, do, why would I put that? Because Jesus says in his invitation, take my yoke upon you. 
A yoke, of course, is that thing that you use to hook a couple oxes together to pull a cart or a couple of donkeys or whatever you're pulling with. The only reason you yoke things together is to carry a burden. And so he says, come to me, you who are overburdened, but you're going to be yoked together with me for the purpose of carrying a burden. But he says, my burden, my burden is light. But he says, you are going to, we are going to be yoked together. You know, Israel was against the law for them to yoke two different kinds of animals together. They couldn't yoke a, an oxen and a donkey together. Why? Because they have two different natures. It doesn't work. Why? Because they had to work together, pull together, so they needed to have kind of the same character, the same nature. And that's what Jesus is saying, look, come unto me and be yoked to me. We're going to be walking together. We're going to be pulling together. There's a unity here. A unity that, man, these, these people didn't understand from before with their religious leaders. Their religious leaders piled heavy burdens upon them. In fact, to take somebody's yoke meant that was a common phrase for saying, be their follower, be their disciple. And then the word that Jesus uses for learn of me is actually the word that we often translate, disciple. But Matthew chapter 23, verse 4, Jesus is ridiculing the Jewish leaders. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their own finger. So Jesus says, look at the religious leaders. They pile a lot on the people to do, but they won't touch it with their own finger. This is what they were used to. So Jesus says, you know what, there's going to be a a unity here. You're going to be yoked with me. We're walking together. We're pulling together. But you know what, my burden... My burden is light. I was thinking about this. My burden is light. Wait a minute. He's already told these people as they're his disciples that, you know what, the world hates me, the world's going to hate you. What the world does to me, the world's going to do to you. He's told his disciples, even your own family members are going to rise up against you. Does that sound like an overly easy burden? If, if yoking with Christ... Unity with Christ brings us hatred from the world, persecution from the world. Then is, is this yoke of Christ really easy? And you know what the answer is? Yes, it is. It's, it's just like this. I think of it this way. I think of marriage. In marriage, you confine yourself. I've, I've talked to people about my faith before. And they've said you know, that Christianity stuff, there's too many rules, there's too many do's and don'ts and that, that kind of thing, and um, it's too confining. I don't want it in my life. Well, you know what? Marriage is confining. Uh, when Lisa and I were engaged and looking to be married, and we were spending almost all of our time together, any free moment I had, I was with her. And I would drop her off. I think she had to be home at like midnight or something, if I remember right. I would drop her off after a date, and I would race home. And you know what I'd do? I'd call her. At one point, there were some friends that I used to hang around with a lot. And this one friend of mine, I happened to bump into him, and he says, you know what, I never see you anymore. He says, man, you're, you're, with, you're with her all the time, and we're just not hanging out like we used to. He says, this isn't good. I don't like it. And I just looked at him, and I smiled. Yeah, see you later. <laughs> and you know why? And, and, and coming up soon, I stood up there, and I, I got to watch her walk down the aisle toward me. And she came up there, and we exchanged vows, and you know all those things um, for richer, for poorer, sickness and health, till death do you part. And there's a part in there where the guy says, "Keeping yourself only unto her, for as long as you shall live." You think about what's in that statement. 
You just took all the women in the entire world and said, none of them, just this one. That's a big restriction, right? Now, let me ask you men something. On that day when you stood there, were you giving up or were you getting? You didn't care about all the rest of the women in the world. You were getting this one, and this is the one you want. You were gaining. You weren't giving up anything. It's the same with Jesus Christ. Uh, Yeah, there's a lot of things that I don't do because of my relationship with Christ. I don't feel like I'm missing anything. There are things that I do do that I didn't before I knew Christ. And they don't feel like a heavy burden to me. Because of this relationship of love that you have for God and His Son, Jesus Christ, in delivering you. That burden is not heavy because you love that person. In fact, in John, 1 John chapter 5, in verse 3, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. That's when you really know you're trusting Christ. Is it not only are you keeping His commandments, but it's not a burden. You're like keeping His commandments. You don't feel like you're missing out on anything. 